Please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we are looking at chapter 13. This will be uh, study number 20, week number 20, and probably our number 10. And last week we looked at the first eight uh, verses, looking at chapter 13 from the book of Revelation. But I need to go back to chapter 13, verse 1, to drill a little deeper into this piece of scripture. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The only way to correctly exegete that is to go over to chapter 17. Chapter 17, look at verse 1, please. And there came one of the seven angels, which are the seven vials, and taught with me, saying unto me, Come hither. And I will show unto thee the judgments of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth are committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth are being made drunk with the wine of a fornication. Jump down to verse 5, please. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Such a description, of course, is in reference to the Catholic Church. Okay, go back to chapter 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, John speaking, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, Antichrist, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, name singular, and one of the names of the papacy up until around the 19th century was Vicarius Filiae Dei. Excuse my Latin pronunciation, but Vicarius Filiae Dei simply means faithful vicar of God. And for a long time, that was one of the names that the Pope of Rome would enjoy until a guy called D.L. Moody came along and started to preach against that blasphemous name. And others came along and would make an issue of such a title. Another blasphemous name is Holy Father. Jesus Christ spoke about Holy Father in reference to God the Father. And yet the Pope of Rome calls himself Holy Father. The Pope has many blasphemous names. But here John has seen this beast come up out of the sea. Could be the Mediterranean. And you look at Italy very much in the centre of the Mediterranean. It's is an interesting thought to behold. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads, plural, the name of blasphemy. So you've got Vicarius Filiae Dei, you've got Holy Father, you've got the Apostle of the Apostles. There are many names and descriptions that the Pope of Rome likes to enjoy. From the 12th century up until probably the 18th century, most Protestants... And a lot of Bible believers were of the opinion that the papacy is the Antichrist. For them, the Antichrist wasn't a person per se, but more of an office, more of an institution. And that was a very popular view until futurism was rediscovered. And futurism is what we are at this ministry very much into. The belief that Revelation is future, Daniel is future. Matthew 24 is future. So I do sympathize with those that held to the papacy being the Antichrist, because for them, they had lived through some dark times. 
from the 4th century up until around the 19th century, a conservative figure of around 50 million has been ascribed to the Catholic Church concerning the murder of 50 million people as a conservative figure. So if I was living in the 15th century or the 16th century and couldn't read or write, and you would say to me, but, you know, the Catholic Church has been calling the shots for centuries and as a result, like I say, has killed 50 million people, I would certainly agree that the papacy would be a good candidate for the Antichrist. But when people started to read and write, when the King James was put into the hands of lay people, when some greats came along and started to study the scriptures like the first century church would do, they thought to themselves, it's not as clear as that. And I will further elaborate on that this morning. But one last time from thirteen one, and I will move on. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Last night I sat down to look at this piece of scripture and I noticed something quite interesting that from chapter 17 you've got the similar sort of description to this whore having or I should say having horns and heads but the whore doesn't have any crowns and I thought how interesting the whore of Rome doesn't have any crowns and it came to me that the whore of Rome is a parasite the whore of Rome is powerless you see The whore of Rome, being the Roman Catholic Church, doesn't have its own army, doesn't have its own air force, doesn't have its own navy. The whore of Rome is very much in need of the Italian government to some extent to do her dirty work for her. Or other countries, and that's why the Catholic Church would hire mercenaries for decades, if not centuries, to annihilate her enemies. So it doesn't surprise me when I read about the whore having no crowns per se. But she's still very powerful. And if you watch the news or if you have your ear to the ground or if you read the newspaper or surf the net, you know that when the Pope goes overseas, they roll the red carpet out for him. This current Pope was in America not very long ago and the president and his wife met him at the airport. And they saw him off at the airport when he would fly out some days later. About six years ago, the previous Pope came to Britain And he flew into an airport in Scotland and Prince Philip was there to meet him and some days later was there to see him off. In fact, I seem to recall that this current American president and his wife had their children also at the airport waiting to greet the Pope of Rome. So you see, when he arrives, he gets quite quite a welcoming. And yet when Paul would arrive in town, they would drive him out, very much like John Wesley. So keep that in mind. And let's start today's broadcast, if we may, from verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Very much the theme of the Gospel of Matthew. And yet for most of those that came into contact with the Lord, first coming, passed him up. And it will be very similar at the second coming. In fact, we were told over in the Gospel of Luke, I think it's chapter 18 from memory, that when the Son of Man returns, will there be much faith on the earth? And the answer was very little If any man or woman have an ear, let him hear. In other words, it's not too late. See, what we are reading is still to occur, of course, and yet that doesn't mean you can't be redeemed if you're not redeemed. You don't need to go into the tribulation. In fact, somebody once said to me, why put yourself through it? That was one of his favorite uh, catchphrases. Why put yourself through it, James? 
You know, why stress it? Why put yourself through it? Why put yourself into a sticky situation? And he had a good, you know, he had a good point. I knew what he was trying to get across to me. But here, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And I would say simply to appropriate the atonement. Get yourself saved. It's as simple as that. If I was to remain silent for five seconds, that's long enough for you to get saved. Verse 10. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now there's no doubt that a sword, when used in scripture, denotes death. It denotes authority. Paul speaks about the minister of the Lord uh, over in uh, Romans chapter 13, having a sword, which for today would be the equivalent to a gun. And that is a good scripture to uphold capital punishment. And that's why the state has the right to take a life concerning an evildoer. But here you've got, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Very much like uh, Babylon back in the day of Jeremiah, a good type of Christ incidentally. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Very similar to what the Lord would say to Peter. Put your sword back into its sheath. He that lives by the sword shall die by the sword. And that gets overlooked by a lot of liberals. Because Christ did believe in capital punishment. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You're going to have to dig. On the one hand, you're going to have to dig into scripture. But... On the other hand, concerning tribulation saints, you need to submit to the powers that be. In fact, if you look at the book of Jeremiah, and I spent two days reading Jeremiah this week, it was very clear to them that the Jews would have to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. They'd have to submit to the powers that be. And if they would do that, they would be blessed. And of course, they went into captivity for the most part, kicking and shouting very much not wanting to submit to the powers that be. And the Lord showed mercy to, I think, several hundred Jews. In fact, Jeremiah would tell the children of Israel to get married, have children. It's hard to think, isn't it? They're going to go into captivity for 70 years. It's going to be pretty tough. And yet Jeremiah says, get married and have children, because this isn't going to go on forever. After 70 years, you will leave Babylon, being in Iraq, and go back into the promised land and some of you are going to produce the seed that will bring forth the messiah look at verse 11 please and i beheld on the beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon and i beheld another beast coming up out of the earth 13 1 out of the sea 13 11 out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon he's a cross between the messiah the lamb of god and the devil the dragon and i've been thinking about this piece of scripture over the last seven days trying to really understand what is going on and i think what is possibly going to happen is this the antichrist will be a counterfeit of christ christ comes a first time in the role of a priest priestly prophet but not political now during the millennium he will be political, but for now, he's very much a priest up in the third heaven interceding for us. The Antichrist will arrive on the earth and he will be priestly on the one hand and also political on the other hand. A great counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That takes care of that particular issue concerning the true identity 
of the Antichrist. And yet even saying that, we can't be overly dogmatic about the Antichrist's identity until we get to chapter 17. But I thought this last night. In fact, I went to sleep last night and I thought to myself, I'm not overly sure I've got this clear in my mind as to whom the Antichrist is going to be and whom the false prophet is going to be. And it came to me that what is likely to occur is this. The Antichrist will be priestly and political, as I say, but the false prophet gets overlooked. And if you think about it this way, when Christ comes the first time, he comes to the earth, of course, but he has John the Baptist who proclaims his arrival. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus and John work hand in hand, if you will, both Jews, of course. The Antichrist and the false prophets are going to work hand in hand, but in reverse order. Jesus and John came for the glory of God. The false prophets and the Antichrist are going to come for the glory of Satan. It's in reverse order. So the false prophet is a type of John the Baptist, but in a reverse way. Hold that thought one more time. Verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, probably human, whereas 13.1 is uh, put by our dispensational brethren to be Judas Iscariot resurrected. Not sure. And I behold another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, type of Christ, but counterfeit. And he spake as a dragon. He's going to be smooth, slick, and seductive. His job is to help the Antichrist out in a similar way to John the Baptist. Not helping the Lord Jesus Christ out, of course, but affirming his credentials. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Okay, So that makes some sense to me. And looking at some of the commentaries over the past few weeks, one person has been put forward to be a candidate for the false prophets, and that is Balaam. I'm not sure about that. I would think perhaps maybe Simon Magnus, or let's see now, there are other other candidates which we could consider to be able to do this. Maybe uh, Janus and Jambres, who withstood Moses perhaps, But of course, you've got two there, not one. I think until we get to chapter 17, I won't go beyond what I'm trying to offer this morning. On top of that, I think because we live in the church age, because we are not privy to really be dogmatic as to the identities of the Antichrist and the false prophets, we shan't commit ourselves. But I still think this, that the Antichrist will be political and religious. As is the Pope. The Pope is religious. He's a so-called Bishop of Rome. And he's also political. He is the leader over Vatican City. So you can see why the brethren from the 12th century up until the 19th century were of the opinion that the Antichrist would be the papacy. A lot of it fits. And yet, if you read the Revelation, and hopefully you have been over the last 20 weeks, you see that the Antichrist doesn't arrive on the scene until after the church has been raptured, Revelation chapter 4. And that's why it's somewhat difficult to take the view of the papacy being the Antichrist. I think the papacy is certainly a type of the Antichrist, but I don't know if the Antichrist is a papacy per se. Now, I will say this, that it's possible that a future pope may well be the Antichrist, but I won't go, uh, I won't go beyond that. I want to Hold that back until we get to chapter 
17. Look at verse 12, please. And exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Now I think this. I think that during the third temple's building, or during the uh, completion of the third temple, we know that the two witnesses are going to be preaching around the third temple, chapter 11, and also the Antichrist is mentioned in chapter 11. And I think what is quite likely to happen is this, that the Antichrist will go to the temple, he will desecrate it, the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24. He will sit in the temple, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, and declare himself to be God, which is pretty blasphemous. But beyond that, and this came to me last night, I think what is perhaps going to happen is the Antichrist will go into the temple and according to verse 12, his deadly wound will be healed. And I think what's going to happen is this, that someone will put him to death. It'll be a setup, of course. He will die in the temple due to a sword of some kind and he'll be resurrected from the dead. Now, we know that when, when Christ hung on a cross, he was pierced with a sword and that sword pricked his heart, literally. So again, it's a counterfeit, it's a mockery of what the Lord Jesus Christ went through to redeem us from our sins. And here, he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. So he's very similar to the beast, being the Antichrist, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So John the Baptist would point to Christ, and here the False prophet, John the Baptist in reverse, is going to point to the Antichrist. They're going to work hand in hand. The terrible two. Verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, John the Baptist didn't do any miracles, like Muhammad, incidentally. But this guy, this false prophet, very much overlooked by futurists, is going to do miracles. Now, Elijah did miracles. Moses did miracles. And it's like this. The Lord is going to roll the dice one more time. He sent his son the first time, and his son called on those to repent, to believe on him. And they passed up the call to repent. They declined his offer, if you will. They rejected the Son of God. And therefore, the Son of God turned to the nations, the Gentiles, you and I. And we were grafted into the root. The root is Jewish. The root is holy. And for now, the Jews are in unbelief. If you go to Israel today, most Jews are secular. Even the rabbis are very liberal. In fact, they have female rabbis. And they have homosexual rabbis. Israel is a very ungodly country. And yet the Jews are beloved. Israel is a special nation. And that's why you were told to pray for those that live in Israel, especially Jerusalem. But here this false prophet is going to do great wonders. Verse 13. So that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Elijah but in reverse. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast Antichrist saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword, and did live. So a sword of some kind is going to be used to kill the Antichrist. Could be a future pope in the third temple. He'll be brought back to life. 
they will think this is wonderful. They will think that this is a good picture of the Messiah, which of course it is not. But on top of that, you've got 14 deceiving all those that dwell on the earth. Matthew 24, Christ would say, let no man deceive you. For many, not some, will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And again, the papacy is a good candidate for the Antichrist, and yet it still doesn't quite fit with Revelation. He had a wound by a sword, and did live. So one more time, the false prophet is going to work hand in hand with the Antichrist. Both are going to be Jews. I think we can agree on that. And they're going to be a counterfeit of Jesus and John, both Jews. Jesus and John come the first time and they go to Israel. The Antichrist and the false prophets are going to come onto the world scene and they're going to go to Israel. Jesus comes the first time, the temple is up and running. Antichrist comes perhaps in the spirit of Judas Iscariot and the temple is up and running. But go back to what I said last week to those which hold to the preterist view or the historical view. There's no temple at the moment. In fact, even as I stand on my feet this morning, there's still no temple in Israel. There's no high priest in Israel ready to go. There are no Levites that are ready to go. Now, I do know there are Jews that are interested and have been for decades to get the third temple up and running. But as of now, as of this year, there is no temple in Israel. There's no priest class in Israel ready to go because the current government is very secular. The current government is very conscious as to how inflammatory it would be to put a temple up. On top of that, we are still on the earth. The body of Christ is still on the earth. And that's why it's impossible, I think, to read Revelation any other way apart from the view, the understanding of a futurist. Verse 15, please. And he had power to give life under the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast, should be killed. So the Antichrist will have an image made in his honour, like Nebuchadnezzar. And the false prophets will point people to the Antichrist, of course, and also to his image. And this image, this statue, this idol, this hologram, perhaps, will be brought to life. And I thought to myself last week how we have been able to progress over the last 50 years, around, let's see now, 1987, 1988, somebody had the idea to put a recording out concerning a very well-known singer who made a recording back in the 1940s, okay? And the idea was simply to get this recording from the 1940s, spruce it up, re-record the background soundtrack, and then get a very well-known pop star around that time, to sing along to that recording. Hadn't been done before, as far as I know. Very clever. And I remember listening to that recording many years ago, and it sounds like they're in the same studio together. And yet the original recording was done back in 1943, 1944. The pop star from the late 1980s recorded her vocal, 1987, 1988. And some clever producer in Hollywood or California, I guess, to be uh, precise, was able to mix the two together. And it sounded like they were in the same studio. So it could just be that this image of the beast which comes to life is, on the one hand, a statue, an idol, like Nebuchadnezzar's, which comes to life, pretty frightening. Or, on the other hand, it could be like a hologram. 
In fact, I remember coming across a clip maybe a year or so ago of the current Turkish president who was standing for re-election and he had the great idea to use a hologram to get his message across. Very original. And I've watched politicians for far too many years and in the West, as far as I know, they haven't yet done that. And yet this Turkish politician, a very powerful man, very anti-Israel, I should also say, was able to use a hologram to get his message across. Of course, it wasn't him. It would be his spin doctors. But my point is this. Technology today allows this type of thing to happen. In fact, I think it was the year before last, a well-known Canadian singer, I shan't name this artist, appeared on a very well-known music show and sung along with a very well-known American artist, Long Dead. And again, to watch it, you would have thought they're both in the studio at the same time. But they weren't. This well-known American singer being dead for over 30 years. And yet technology gave the impression that both were in the same room. And that's why I think that the false prophets, who is credited here with the creation of an idol, of an image, according to verse 14, is able to give life. In fact, verse 15, excuse me to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, like Nebuchadnezzar, 60 feet high, 60 feet wide, excuse me, 60 feet high, 6 feet wide, typical of what we are reading about this morning. On top of that, the Antichrist is going to revive the Roman Empire, the Antichrist is going to revive Babylon the Great, Babel, the Antichrist is going to Go back to antiquity, the pharaohs, Alexander the Great. He's going to resurrect a lot of such wickedness that dominates the Old Testament. So I will say this, and probably close for today, that as a student of Scripture, I'm very mindful that Revelation especially has a lot of symbols. And I think the reason why it has so many symbols was perhaps to... On the one hand, keep the apostles safe, because if you were to uh, fulfill or if you were to find yourself being detained by the secret police during the first century with this book, which is dynamite, you would be detained, interrogated and put to death. In fact, if you were to find yourself in occupied Europe during World War II, if you were a British agent or a French operative dropped into German lines and were found with secret documents from London, you'd be interrogated and even perhaps tortured, if not put to death. So therefore the book is written in such a way that for an unsaved man or woman, if they were to get their hands on it, like Revelation for example, or Daniel, couldn't understand it. It's in code you see, and that's why you were told to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why it takes time to study the scriptures. This isn't an easy book to read, also I should say. I spent the last seven days reading Revelation and Jeremiah and making notes in my mind, trying to really understand what is going on. And I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm still trying to work out a lot of this myself. But what the Lord has been gracious enough to show me is that what we are reading about is still to occur. And if you're not saved, you won't be able to see what is coming. And that's why it's imperative to be saved. And on top of that, it's imperative to be a Bible reader and a Bible believer. So I will close there 
in verse 15 and just spend a few moments now summing up what we've looked at over the past two Sundays. And from Revelation 5, 6, the Lamb of God has seven horns, seven eyes and seven spirits of God. Seven, 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 God's perfect number. And as we conclude chapter 13 next week, we will look at 666, the number of the beast. Also of interest to me, I was able to discover a type of the Trinity. From chapter 4, you've got the throne of God, picturing God the Father. You've got the 24 elders, picturing God the Son. And the cherubims before the throne, picturing the Holy Ghost. From chapter 10, verse 8, you've got uh, an angel standing on the sea. Very much Lord over Leviathan, which comes up out of the sea, like 13.1, On top of that, he has his feet on the earth. In fact, please turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Most of your commentaries will say that the angel from uh, Revelation chapter 10 is Jesus Christ. I'm not overly sure. And I read this piece of scripture from uh, Psalm 115. 15 a few nights ago and I thought it'd be worth reading again or reading it now I should say and put it putting it on uh, on tape Uh, Psalm 115 look at verse 16 please the heaven even the heavens are the Lord's but the earth hath he given to the children of men so what you've got here first of all is the heavens like second heaven third heaven uh, belonging to the Lord far north New Jerusalem or spiritual Jerusalem, or paradise, call it what you will. But the earth, where we are today, has he given to the children of men. So we are the custodians of the earth. Okay, so when you get to chapter 10, verse 8, you've got this angel proclaiming with a loud voice. He's glorifying the Lord. And he's got one foot on the sea, like I say. In fact, I'm going to turn there now. Uh, 10... Uh, 10.8 did I say 10.8 and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth so you've got this angel standing on the earth proclaiming victory over the devil over the antichrist and over the beast and also standing on the sea claiming victory over leviathan over all of the marine life picturing deity of course But what makes me wonder if this angel is Jesus Christ is 10 verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lift up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Who created heaven and the things that therein are. And the earth and the things that therein are. And the sea and the things which are therein. That there should be time no longer. Christ made everything. All things are made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. So this angel, which if you listen to most commentaries, may not be Jesus. Because he is swearing unto heaven. He's swearing to heaven. He's saluting heaven, if you will. And he's giving God glory for the creation of the earth. But the point I wanted to really uh, make this morning before I sign out is that this angel comes with the authority of God with the authority from heaven, and he stands on the sea, Leviathan, and on the earth. Lord of heaven, Lord of the earth, Lord of the sea, Lord of the mountains. Very much demonstrating that he has the authority, and that's why it could be even, perhaps, the Holy Ghost. 
because the Holy Ghost is also mentioned as the angel of the Lord. We get that from the book of Acts. So I think for today, I've said all I wanted to say. And all I will add as I sign out would be that the Antichrist is quite possibly going to be religious and political. The false prophet is going to come to help him out, shall we say, to reassure people, shall we say. But the false prophet is going to be religious, as is the Antichrist, and the false prophet will be perhaps John the Baptist in reverse, whereas the Antichrist will be Jesus Christ in reverse. And these two are going to deceive a lot of people. Along the way, they will create an image, a statue, an idol, which they will bring to life. And those that refuse to bow down and worship this image, which comes to life, very much picturing the Antichrist's resurrection, are going to be put to death. And like I said last week, and I say it again now, that if you're not saved, you have no way of being able to see through this deception. And of course, this will come upon you because you are an enemy of the Lord. You are outside of the remit of the Lord, and you are very much cut off from the mercy of the Lord. So cry out to him this morning if you're not saved. Believe on him if you're not saved. Call in his name if you're not saved. And if you are saved and are out of fellowship with the Lord, confess your sins to him, get back into fellowship with him. And if you want my advice, start reading the Gospel of John. And I'll leave it there. And next week, Lord willing, we'll pick it up from 13 verse 16. Revelation 13 verse 16.